Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm the head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, assistant head of school. Hi, I'm Deb Meyer. I'm a certified financial planner and the author of Redefining Family Wealth. And Kirk Parents, today begins a series of Healthy Habits, a new um, series we will be doing to start the new year. We're going to be looking at a variety of topics, but today we're going to focus on something that is vastly important to many of you, and that is family wealth and financial management. Today we do have Deb Meyer, uh, author of Redefining Family Wealth. Subtitle, I think, is important for us to, to note, A Parent's Guide to Purposeful Living. And so, Deb, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thanks we're, for having we're, me. we're glad to have you. And so, uh, you are a financial planner. You're also a CPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a mother. What all? Tell us about you. What all do you do? And how did you get here? Yeah, it's uh, kind of crazy. All the titles <laughs> you accumulate <laughs> over time, but. Um, I grew up primarily in Wisconsin, and uh, we moved around quite a bit when I was young. Just my dad was in manufacturing in the 80s, and at that time it was hard. You know, if a plant would shut down, we'd have to up and move to the next city where he could find a job. So uh, I actually came here in uh, 2000 for college at St. Louis University, and I've been here ever since in mm-hmm. St. Louis. Um, pretty excited just to be able to you know talk about some of my knowledge both as a CPA and a financial planner but also um, as a mother because I struggle with a lot of the same things that my clients do and that you know we're trying to steward our finances in a really positive direction but it's hard with kids and aging parents and all these different things thrown at us there's so many competing savings goals debts to pay off things like that that um, it, it can get muddled and it's hard to really focus on, okay, what are the things that really matter in life? And what are some of the core values that I have? How am I living those values out as I'm making some of these financial decisions? Mm-hmm. And um, that's what my real passion is around. I have three young boys. Uh, my oldest is 10 and my youngest, well, 10, six and four uh, right now. And they definitely keep us on our toes. I'm, happily married to Brian. Uh, we've been married for about 12 years and yeah, it's just been a really good mm-hmm. journey of motherhood and staying in the financial realm and I'm just excited to be here to, to talk more about any questions you have around building wealth and alignment yeah. with your values. Yeah. Well, and we, we are very much aware on a, on a regular basis of, of what it costs to send kids to a private school mm-hmm. uh, and we're, we're very grateful for the trust that our families put in to us uh, on a, on a day, day-to-day basis, and you know, we, we also are blessed to have what I would consider as a community that is both generous, but also both uh, good stewards of what the Lord has given, and, and we want to be good stewards in return of that. And so uh, I think, think today will, will definitely be enlightening and I think encouraging to some and challenging to others, and, and I think that's exactly where we want it to be. So uh, tell us this, let's start with this, how long have you gone um, and worked with families? Because specifically to your book, you, you really talk about family wealth, and that's mm-hmm. a very different concept than just wealth in, in general. You know, you mm-hmm. see a lot of the bumper stickers and things, and I've seen this on Instagram a few times. It's it's a little humorous, but, you know, you have the stick figures, you know, in the back of a minivan. <laughs> um, I, saw, I saw a picture of one where it was a stick figure of one guy and a whole pile of money on the back of a BMW. So, you know, there, there's differences <laughs> in, in the way that you evaluate that and, you know, right. your financial portfolio. And not everything is, is quite as, as luxurious as they want to show on the, the you know, the... Uh, 
Prudential halftime shows at uh, mm-hmm. college basketball games. So talk there for a second. Sure. How did you get into family wealth management instead of just, hey, make my money grow? Right. Well, I started my career in public accounting, so I um, was there for about two and a half years at Deloitte in their tax department, and I really didn't get to interact with families at that you know, I was working with families in the sense that I was doing their tax returns, but not real right. real interactions there. So when I transitioned out of that into wealth management, I went to a firm, what's called Financial Management Partners, now it's called Matter Family Office, and I worked there for about seven years, just working with families of pretty significant wealth, but they were um, families that wanted to really live that wonderful holistic life and um, I wasn't a mother when I joined the firm so I you know just still had a lot of my single ways and thinking about myself all the time and then as I became a mom it became that much clearer I could have these deeper conversations with my Mm -hmm. clients Mm -hmm. Um, when I left that position and started my own um, registered investment advisory firm a few years ago that's when I really made the core focus on working with families I, I never put any kind of marketing messages out that I was just here to work with wealthy individuals or <laughs> or whatever because I just um, my heart is for families and making you know making sure families succeed so yeah. it's um so it keeps me excited every day because I'm again right in the trenches with my own family trying to figure some of these things out and any valuable tools that I can pick up along the way I want to be able to share with other people yeah. in mm-hmm. similar life stages or some of my clients too are you know closer to retirement age but i you know feel i can relate pretty well to them as well because i have parents their ages and things like that where it's a lot of these same conversations are happening whether it's me on the receiving end or if i'm helping guide someone on on that yeah you know um i'm a therapist as well um so my um see clients here and there and one of the things that you talk about with couples a lot is that we I mean finances is one of the top things that couples fight about um, and what I you know tend to try and pull out is kind of uh, it's not it's not just about the money like there mm-hmm. are other underlying issues um, that come out and that's one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is talking about the values and the priorities and how that directs kind of what how we build build wealth as opposed to you know yeah let's just get more money um tell tell us a little bit about what your experience with trying to prioritize those values looks like well i think it's definitely a challenge for married couples to figure out because you know we each come with our own set of baggage Mm -hmm. into a marriage right we have our own unique stories of how we grew up and what some of our um, concerns and fears were but also some successes around money and um, my husband and I are a great example. We came from two very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he's one of five. His mom stayed at home and his dad worked outside the home and that was their situation. I have one sister and both of my parents worked outside mm-hmm. the home full time. So very different upbringings, yet we're here joined in this marriage together trying to figure out, okay, what do we really value now as a married couple that might you know still be shaped by what we grew up with but Mm -hmm. where do we want to take our family directionally and getting on that same page is incredibly hard but it's also so incredibly important 
because you don't want people in conflict and trying to figure out, well, should we be putting it over here or here if we have extra savings and what, are, you know, it just, um, and even just generosity tithing. I mean, <laughs> that's another whole point oh, of contention. Wow. Yeah. And uh, like, not to <laughs> point fingers, but my husband and I don't always see eye to eye on that. Yeah, and so totally. it's just like, okay, we have this blessing. Let's make sure we're yeah. doing what we should with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, again, coming up with those kinds of um, happy mediums where we can say like, yes, this is what we really value together as a couple and as a family. And these are the kinds of things we want to be teaching our kids too. Yeah. Because if you're constantly in money arguments or any argument for that matter, that's going to wear on your kids. Totally. They are going to see it and they're going to feel it. Um, whether they feel truly feel fearful about the state of your finances or just more of a broader like oh or you know (laughs) my parents gonna stay together am I get like those are the kinds of uh, things that go through kids heads even at pretty young ages yeah sure so So you're you're already tapping into a pretty deep topic with this so so let me let me back up for just a second and say then what caused you to write a book it's one thing to work with these families and, and everything and yeah. granted I, I do have the blessing with working with a lot of our families I don't know if I would write a book though you know <laughs> and that, that's a different skill set and a, and a different yeah. blessing and in your book is is chock full of wisdom and just just really great principles for, for folks to live by and, and I also like the fact that within the book it, there, there are some varieties of which you could choose from it doesn't find almost what what really works for your family mm-hmm. family to, to the point you were just making but, but why write a book? What, what, what was the inspiration behind writing something like this? Honestly, I just wanted to make sure I was reaching more people because I don't think a lot of traditional financial advisors are having these conversations outside of just these very exclusive one-on-one, okay, if you're my client, yes, I'll talk to you about some of these things. But outside of that, it's really hard for people to have a great framework. You know, Google is, is there, but you're not going to be able to Google okay, how do you figure out family values and actually make those a Mm -hmm. valuable part of your conversation? Or how do you make your, you know, there's little articles here and there, but there's nothing comprehensive that really covers that. So um, I got into writing just in the last couple of years and started blogging, I guess, in 2016 when I started my advisory firm, Worthy Nest. And uh, I just really fell in love with writing as a form of communication. And then um, God put it on my heart one day that just, I was like, yes, I'm, I'm gonna write a book and make it happen. Mm-hmm. So um, it was through his power, his strength. I you know, got the first draft done and then got some assistance along the way in getting it published. But uh, yeah, it's, it was definitely a labor of love and something mm-hmm. that, um, and just really hope can impact people in a positive way. Uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Let's jump into some of the meat of the stuff. So Maria, yeah, I, I know you have questions. I do. I too, do. So yeah. Go so for it. my husband's a former financial advisor, um, okay. and so we have these conversations all the time. Yep. Um, and it was uh, really encouraging to read in your book that budget is not a, a dirty word, um, <laughs> because I think you know that for. That has been a really hard hard spot for me. Um, is just how do we how do we have fun? How do we enjoy and not mm-hmm. feel guilty about it? And you kind of you, you hit on that a little bit when you talk about budgets. Um, yeah. And I think that's 
one of the hardest parts about budgets is it feels like it can be, it can just put you into guilt and shame, um, you know? And so talk to us a little bit about kind of your perspective on budgets and, um, mm-hmm. and how you see that in the end benefiting in the long term um, families. Yeah, I think uh, number one, budgets, they do have that negative connotation. When you just think about the word, it just gets people in yes. like this hypervigilant mode of like, oh, well, that's going to be restrictive and I can't do it. Um, and I even have some clients, you know, in their 50s or 60s that are like, budget? I haven't done anything like that in mm. years. And yet we still, I'm still bringing that to the forefront of our conversations mm-hmm. because I want to make sure, especially for some of those clients that are preparing for retirement, like have a clear idea of what you're spending right now so you, when you're on a more, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, tighter budget, yeah. you actually need, you know what what you can reasonably expect to spend. Um, so I, I think from that perspective, just planning for the long term and having awareness around what you're doing is, is criti- critical. But then also, like I said before, with the couples, it can be really hard unless you have that solid framework to say, okay, well, I just want to go and take care of these expenses for the kids, whereas your spouse might be spending on something else that Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily know about and aren't talking about, and yet you're going over each month Mm -hmm. and not savings as much as you realistically could. So a lot of it is just getting a a document (laughs) together that's going to clearly outline, okay, this is our total for discretionary spending and here's all of the different line items and knowing that, yeah, some line items are not gonna hit full that month, but other line items are and as long as you stay within those parameters, you're in good shape. But for the people that just aren't monitoring it at all or have no idea what they're spending, it's really difficult to save for those longer term goals like college or retirement. I mean, it's just, you just don't know where it's going. So you mentioned in your book too, goal setting is really a powerful tool for, for, for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like at least in, in our own, for the Clement family, or in our own financial uh, planning and history, we, we've done it where we've been able to monitor almost every penny. We've done it where we've been a little bit more loose and that was definitely not productive for us. But when, when you get to that goal setting, what, where have you seen people really kind of transform either their long-term savings, short-term savings, wh- whatever that is, where have you seen that, that goal really make an impact or, or how does it make an impact on people? Yeah, I think um, from a practical standpoint, you know, when people are able to quantify exactly what some of those goals are and they're writing them down on either pen and paper or typing them up on their computer, and there's that visual reminder of that goal, it's gonna be that much easier to achieve over the long term. So uh, uh, when I first you know, kind of talk about a framework, I don't even start with goals, I start more with the foundation of that examination of mm-hmm. values mm-hmm. and vision for the family and then coming up with some of those more specific goals and then there's tactics to achieve those goals and those tactics might be saving more in a retirement account or um, putting more into a 529 plan for kids' education, paying down <coughs> student loan debt. That might be another more um, tactic kind of uh, attribute. The success that I found with a lot of people who have 
higher incomes, but are still in those early years, especially with student loan debt payoffs, it's critical to, to do that budget so you know exactly how much extra cash flow you have and then direct every extra dollar of that cash flow into paying down expensive debt. So, and, so. and, that's, <laughs> I, and I guess I, I'll use the uh, Dave Ramsey term or maybe it's more generic, but the debt snowball. Is, yep. that, is that what you're referencing? Yeah, so there's debt snowball, um, there's also debt avalanche, there's different yeah. ways of, of doing it, but I typically like to refer, you know, there's some people that psychologically really need to have those small wins, so they just look at, mm -hmm. okay, credit card debt in general, if I have five different credit cards and I'm not paying any of them off in full each month, where am I gonna, you know, start mm -hmm. making some tangible difference? For that particular case, I say, look at the highest interest rate and start paying that off. But if that's the biggest balance, maybe it makes sense to pay off the lowest balance card because they're all high interest rates yeah. <laughs> and then just work your way through as you get more success. So that's one piece of it is just figuring out the debt side of it. And I'm not saying to completely just say, I'm solely gonna focus on debt reduction. I'm not gonna save anything for retirement there's a lot of people who have employers that will do employer matches so putting in the minimum for that match and then redirecting some of the extra because you always have to think about that trade-off and what what's going to be more powerful not only now but down the road and when you're out of debt and you don't have you know a 10 or 12 percent interest rate on credit cards to pay it's pretty easy to keep on just saving more for those longer term retirement goals and, and yeah. so on. But if you're stuck in this vicious cycle of just making minimum payments and you're still trying to do all these other things, it can be really taxing mm -hmm. just on the relationship in general um, among family members and then also uh, just keeping up with the payments, right? It's interesting what, what you just said, rather than starting with um, you know the budget or specific goals, you start with the values and, and the values then direct your decisions, which I think one of the challenges I always have with finances is like the long-term mm -hmm. vision can be hard to like put into practice and sure. um, feel attainable. Mm -hmm. um, and so I like that you start with the big picture and zoom into, okay, this is how we get there. Mm -hmm. um, and the things that you do along the way are getting you to that goal uh, mm -hmm. because it's very easy, especially I, I feel like in finances, to lose sight of your goal because retirement's so far off in the distance. Or, right. you know, I mean, I have my youngest is one is a year old, and so it's like thinking about in 17 years when he goes off to college. I mean, you know, it's right. yeah, it's hard to keep the decade or more goal in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and so I like that you kind of section that off and realize that the budget, the things that we're doing now are going to impact the future. Right. And it's all about forming those habits that you are going to be able to set yourself up for mm -hmm. success mm -hmm. later, now and in the future, yeah. right? And um, I, I, I think the other key part as you were talking about your own story and kind of where those savings goals come from. I'm still encouraging clients to put pieces into their retirement mm -hmm. accounts, even mm -hmm. if they're in their 20s or yeah. 30s. But 
I'm going to have them more focused on some of these other things yeah. that are more crucial, like, okay, what keeps you up at night? My student loan debt does. Mm. Or what, you know, what, mm. what do you want to do from a philanthropic standpoint? Mm. And it's, it might be something, well, over the next 10 years, I want to be able to give this amount, but I might not get there in the next two years, sure. right? Sure. <laughs> so just having some of that bigger vision setting goals both short and long term but realizing that it's not going to happen overnight it's a process and um to put a sports analogy around it it's it's a marathon not a sprint and uh, i just feel people need to have that kind of sense of long-term perspective but also know that there are things in the short term that they can do now to to make sure so one of one of the pieces that you talk about is that cash is not going to pay for college, <laughs> right? Yep. And and we see this time and time again. And, and and I would say college savings is very frustrating. Um, I think some of the five twenty nine laws that have changed over the past couple of years have been uh, very helpful because I think it's encouraged people to save a little bit more because it's you know, there's a little bit more um, you know opportunity for for the monies that are in a five twenty nine plan. Um, but talk about that for a second because I feel like college savings is, um, I would say, maybe the most depressing of them all. Uh, I feel like with retirement, there, there's this yeah. idea that, all right, I can change my lifestyle, I can do this. With college, it's, 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 feeding, it's feeding an insatiable appetite of the beast. Mm-hmm. And, and so talk about that for a moment, if you don't mind. Sure. There are a couple of things around college planning that I think are kind of big misconceptions. So number one is just saying, okay, well, whatever my income is at that time, that's going to basically fund my kids college expense because mm. truth be told even if you're paying you know you're paying private school tuition now that's not necessarily going to be the same when they go off to college especially if they're going off to a private university mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you know the price tag for uh, room and board and tuition in a lot of private universities is 50,000 yeah. per year right and even like the graduation statistics I was just reading an article the other day I think only 41% of kids actually graduate in four years. Most yeah. of them are longer, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, the victory lap is what we call them. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're five. Yeah, four you're and a half, five. five. Yeah. Seven, I, I had six. motivation to graduate yeah. in four because I did not want to pay for, for yeah. year five. I graduated in three, but that was because I had a pretty easy major. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, it's the truth, <laughs> and it's I mean it's not that the college expense is going to be any less. Yeah, you know, a, if true. anything, yes, push yourself hard academically if you can to right. prepare yourself so you can graduate quicker and things like that. But um, th- so there's some of that misconception just around, and I think the other important thing to think about with college planning is knowing with the new tax law that. 529 plans can be used for K through 12 expenses um, up to $10,000 a year mm-hmm. per family. So that's a really great benefit that they've just folded into mm-hmm. that you know, when they passed the um, Tax Act in late 2017. So those pieces, I think, if you do have a 529 plan though and you're gearing it specifically towards college, you wanna still think about it as that long-term savings vehicle to supplement whatever the cost may be. I mean, the FAFSA is one of the forms that helps determine financial aid and things like that, but um, you're not really gonna know what that looks like until closer to the actual day, right? right? So I, I think any savings you can do now is going to be beneficial 
the only other caveat to that is there might be some families where the kids just don't want to go to college or they want to take a gap year or whatever. And so not necessarily overfunding <laughs> the 529 plans, but maybe saying, okay, I'm paying for private school and K through 12, let's pull some of it out now if it looks like your student might not be heading in that direction. But I mean, hopefully a lot of the kids are going to choose to go to college and that's just one of the concerns people have expressed. But that money is still available. It's just, if, if it's not used for college, you know, there's some, um, penalties associated with the earnings so yeah yeah I know I know for um us my my dad had a, a 529 and we've just now passed it to my daughter um mm -hmm. you know and she's two so um we have we have quite some time before that happens but it is the 529s are wonderful for they're, that they're easily transferable exactly. you know between generations and the benefit of them is awesome and they grow tax-free that yes, entire time Missouri residents, you can actually set up a 529 plan in any state. It doesn't have to be Missouri most, and you can still get yep. the tax break. That's yeah. a special rule just for, well, there's a couple of other states as well, but Missouri is one of them Yeah. Uh, that recognizes that tax parity. So. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. another, another component of the book that you talked about, and I think this one's uh, particularly applicable to us as well, is, is you have a section on children you want to raise. And mm -hmm. so there's just a couple of things that, that you talk about in, in developing healthy habits for kids uh, because often, you know, we're, we're kind of at a juxtaposition of we might be able to provide for our children and give them exactly what they want, if not more, but yet that's not, uh, as we know, that's not best for their hearts, mm -hmm. but yet sometimes we, we find ourselves uh, either prideful in that or we find ourselves um, even, even a little bit worried that we're not doing enough for our kids. But, but talk about just some of these habits um, for parents of children you want to raise. Yeah, um, I struggle with this myself because I'm, you know, I send my kids to a Catholic school and it's, uh, there's a lot of financial excess that I see a lot of the other parents in the school saying, oh yeah, I'm gonna spend 200 bucks on Pokemon cards or whatever it is, or they have, you know, fundraiser, or not even a fundraiser, but like a Santa's cottage, and they just give them $40 a kid or whatever to spend freely, and I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think the examination of values really just has to happen at your individual family level, and if you're trying to rely on what you see other parents, whether it's at school or in your community or just um, friends of the family, whatever, it's not really a good barometer for what you should be doing with your money and it's also not a great example of what habits you want to instill in your kids right because some kids or you know some families their values are not going to be exactly what you value they might be valuing exotic vacations overseas you, you don't know if your value is I want to raise a child who's gonna fall in love with Christ and be a great disciple for him that might be engaging in more service opportunities at a young age. It might be uh, not giving them the latest and greatest iPhone or whatever <laughs> you know, tech gadget of the day arrives and just saying, I, I understand. And, and I think the other overused term we, when we're trying to make these financial decisions for kids is, well, I can't afford that. 
And sometimes you really can't afford it. You just, your values are not consistent with mm-hmm. paying for that particular mm-hmm. item, right? Yeah. So if, if those aren't consistent, then stop using that phrase. Just say, mm. this is not something we value spending our money on. Well, and, and that's a really powerful thing because I think yeah. there, there were times growing up and, and for me, I, I grew up as an only child. There, there was a lot my parents could afford, frankly, especially the fact that they had a, you know, an only child and mm-hmm. it was a boy. And basically, hey, this is. There's, you you know, weren't buying a lot of tennis shoes or a lot of shoes. Not, not really. Makeup, <laughs> no, you know, all that not, kind of not, stuff. <laughs> not really. But I, I played a lot of sports, you yeah. know, things like that. But, but there were there was the phrase that uh, I was very confused because my mom would say, "Well, we can't afford that right now." Mm-hmm. And and that was that was actually a very confusing phrase mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. because then I'd look at other things and say, "But we just but did you this, just did or, this or, yeah. or this or this." And so there, there's this kind of the, the shame factor, I, I would say, that, that I would I'd kind of put upon myself versus, hey, that's not what we value right now. I, 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 so, I, yeah, explain that a little bit more because yeah. I'm sitting here going, yeah. like, it's like well, man, that is great. Yeah, because I think I may have just said we can't afford that to my kid the other day. I, so, yeah. you know, I, talk, talk a little bit more about that because I think that is something that we can really pull apart for our kids, especially in such a visual culture that mm-hmm. we're living in. The, and the, and as we've talked about before, the affordable luxury side, things are more affordable actually than ever, right? Mm-hmm. People can afford some of these luxury items, some of these things that we thought, man, my kid would never have that. They're way more affordable now than ever just in the way the economy and manufacturing works. And I'm getting into deeper economics mm-hmm. there. But then when it comes to the value prospect, mm-hmm. right? Um, unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I grew up, I, I mean, I had the example because that was very much my upbringing as well. It was, we can't afford it, we can't afford it. Even though, I, you know, I come to find out years later, like my parents had diligently, you know, been saving and things like that. So it wasn't technically something that they couldn't afford. They just chose not to, right? And I, I mean, I don't know of any kid that's not going to ask for something <laughs> that sure. they want, right? Yeah. So it's our job as parents to really decide, okay, is this something in alignment with that value system? And if it's not, figure out a way to gently explain that in a level they're going to understand. The explanation I give to my 10-year-old is different than the explanation I give to my six-year-old who's sure. just starting to ask for things. So his, uh, you know, my six-year-old is all about Pokemon cards lately. And he just wants more and more and more Pokemon cards. Every week, he's asking me for more Pokemon cards. And I said, I just donated, like, 50 Pokemon cards (laughs) a month ago because you weren't using any of them. I'm not going to buy any more Pokemon cards, not because I can't afford it, but because I don't see the value in getting you additional cards. Just be happy with the ones you have. Yeah. And um, whereas my 10 year old, if I have a conversation with him, it's more, well, I want the Nintendo Switch. All my friends have the Nintendo Switch. I should get the Nintendo. And I'm like, well, is this Wii system that we have that's five years old sufficient to play the video games? Well, technically it's okay, but it's not the <laughs> yes. best of the, you know. Right. And so um, at that point, it's just saying, well, maybe that's something that come Christmas time, maybe you'll be surprised that there might be a Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch, but don't think about <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an right. expensive yeah. purchase like that even being an option yeah. prior to. Yeah. Uh, you know, a special occasion like a yeah. holiday yeah. or, or yeah. birthday. Well, so. and, and teaching them, too, the underlying 
theme there, you know, we say oftentimes comparison is the thief of joy, Mm -hmm. right? And so really what, I mean, what, what we're saying there is comparing is going to lead you into a lot of turmoil emotionally, but then also it can, it can be a hindrance to your finances. And so even pulling out that theme of like, it doesn't sound like it's necessarily about, you know, this system really being better as much as it is you want what you know your friends have so I love I love that idea of it's not that I can't afford it it's that my values don't align mm-hmm. with being able to afford it mm-hmm. by purchasing I love that that's like freeing too I think yeah um, yeah so uh, another thing that you bring up that, that I thought was really really good was the understanding of the misconceptions of wealth that within Within yeah. the Christian community, at times we feel like uh, money is the root of all evil, and mm-hmm. therefore we shouldn't uh, have as much. That you know, mm-hmm. we should either uh, give it all away, or that by earning too much, sometimes that that's going to to prevent us from doing anything um, that, we, that we benefit the kingdom a, as a whole. So, mm-hmm. uh, what are what are some of the misconceptions of wealth you identify? Um, a couple uh, misconceptions. Number one, I think the money is the root of all evil it's the love of money is the root of all evil right and um when you put money as your god yes that's going to be a problem (laughs) yeah when you keep it in alignment with and and we're all gonna sin we're all gonna have mistakes you know missteps and mistakes but at the end of the day god is a loving forgiving god and he wants us to grow closer to him so if we can do that through not only our money, but just how we're building wealth in general and, and sharing that wealth, that's what's going to be valuable as we, you know, have our coming, our judgment day and, and try to mm-hmm. go into heaven. But I, I think the um, wealth is also so many times just associated with money. It, it, people just think those are the two yeah. synonymous items, sure. right? But there are other forms of wealth, and one of those forms is your human capital, right? Your social capital. What are you doing within your community to help benefit others? What are you doing within your school? What are you doing within your church? What are you doing if you're a business owner? What are you, how are you sharing a message within your business that's helping bring more peace and abundance and joy to other people? Or are you detracting away from that? So those kinds of, um, I, I just want people to focus more on some of these other forms of wealth that we don't necessarily think about on a day-to-day basis, but they're still just as important in terms of honoring God and being a good steward. Yeah. And I, again, as we can be good role models of that behavior, especially for our children, they're going to be great role models down the road as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there are some people that, you know, if you're not blessed financially at that moment, you could be going and volunteering, and mm. that's free, and it doesn't cost you a dime, you know? Like, there's no, um, if anything, it's just helping bridge mm. a gap that yeah. that's not being filled elsewhere. So. I, I think the other, um, I do want to back up to something earlier we were talking about, just with the comparison and mm-hmm. and having um, 
one of the things I'm passionate about is trying to spend like less time on social media because I do think that can be a really big comparison trap and people are only posting like the highlights of mm-hmm. what's going on in their world and it's hard to always have like a good filter for what's really happening, yeah. right? right? And so as part of this, you know, just overall being a good steward, um, going for broke when it comes to living purposefully, it's, it's about avoiding the comparison trap, focusing on your family's values, and then really living those out in a, an exemplary way. Yeah, yeah. What would you say is the, um, I don't, I know you can't change your finances overnight, mm-hmm. but if you could do one thing tomorrow that would be different today that would help your finances, what would you say that would be? Again, not that there's a magic bullet, it's not easy to, to turn that corner, but for those who can maybe feel overwhelmed and underwater about getting finances back, mm-hmm. what's the first small step? Yeah, I think number one is just awareness. Assess the gap hmm. and know whatever limiting belief you've had in the past about getting over that gap, just try to reframe it in a positive way. Hmm. So that positive mindset, having more of an abundance mentality of saying, okay, what happened Hmm. in the past isn't going to define me anymore. What I really need to focus on is the future. And I have some things that are within my control. Let's focus on those. Yeah. Right? Well, (laughs) and and even in your book, you mentioned mindset. You quote Carol Dweck and Uh mindset, which for parents that have not read that, it's an incredibly encouraging uh, book. Uh, Carol Dweck, who is a professor at Stanford University, wrote this, but really about reframing your mind and putting yourself in a mindset that where you are working towards a goal and that, that frankly, uh, although Dweck doesn't say this, I think that being believers we can, that God's giving us, uh, has given us rather, a mind that, that is elastic and, and you know, uh, ability to grow. Mm-hmm. And we can do that with our finances, what I'm hearing you say, and at least that's where you point yeah. that in the book. Yes, definitely. So, last thing that I that I'll ask here is you talk you ask a lot of questions in the book, and you yeah. kind of have a lot of guiding questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if I'm if I'm getting ready to sit down with my wife and I say, "Hey, we need to we need to really reconsider some things that we're doing. Let's talk about the vision for our family, and not, not even the goals, but as you said, the, the vision. What are some guiding questions that you would you would encourage maybe spouses to have with one another? as they get ready to maybe think more deeply about their, their finances, particularly for 2020? Um, I, I know I'm talking all about values, 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 but that's where I would start, is really figuring out, um, just going, uh, there's a resource I cited in the book, but um, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, Brenny Brown put oh. something out recently of like a list of 50 core values that you could consider. And again, it's just a starting point. There's probably more core values you could come up with, but. Uh, printing off that list, you and mm. your spouse, and just each of you circling some of your core values, and then coming together mm. with those lists to say, oh, where do we actually overlap, yeah. right? <laughs> if you don't overlap at all, that might be a little bit lengthier conversation, but you're going to find there's probably going to be some overlap yeah. to those core yeah. values. And what I really try to focus on is having one or two core values that really guide every decision you mm. make as a family. And then having maybe five or six other kind of supplementary values that you might choose to focus on in more sprint-like mm-hmm. times, right? So for my particular family, one of our core values is uh, 
is family, honoring each other as family members and just showing that love and respect no matter what um, circumstance we're feeling. We, with three boys, we have a lot of arguments <laughs> and fighting, you know, just conflict and um, just trying to keep that peace and harmony within our own family unit is, is crucial for us. Um, but, you know, each family is going to have their own set of values and then just distilling those down to one or two that really just guide every decision, whether it's financial or not. And then taking some of these other values that might be supplemental and, and really saying, okay, I'm going to focus on this value as I make progress towards these particular goals. Mm-hmm. We love Brene Brown, so. Yeah. Yeah. She's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> She's quite good. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so yeah, much, Deb. Thank Thanks you. for being with us. Thank, thank you uh, for just sharing your wisdom. And, and again, families, the, the book is Redefining Family Wealth, A Parent's Guide to Purposeful Living. And again, it's by Deborah Meyer, uh, CPA and uh, Certified Financial Planner. And uh, thank you again for just sharing your wisdom. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Kirk Day School families, uh, next couple of podcasts that we're going to have, uh, again, is this Healthy Habit series, and we'll be looking at more of the physical and spiritual growth and forming those healthy habits. And we'll have the link to Deb's book on our website and on the podcast update. So uh, we look forward to getting back with you soon. And until then, blessings.